Welcome into the 214th episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner, and today we got a packed episode. We're talking about the Terps 31 24 win over Northwestern that brings them to 6 and 2 on the season. And as always, we kick things off with my friend, Todd Carton, and the non rev report. Todd, uh, other than a brutal Friday, kind of a mediocre week all around for our non-revs. Yeah, it, re- it really was a disappointing Friday. Friday was just brutal, especially for those of us who are in the I hate Penn State category because uh, both field hockey and volleyball, we'll get to that in some detail in a minute, but they both uh, dropped mat- their matches to Penn State. But we can start with women's soccer, Mason, because – you know, they ended the season on a real high note. Yeah, Todd, I think they were the team that we were the most concerned about after last week's show. And, well, they really uh, stepped it up this week. They ended eight-game losing streak with a 1-0 win at Indiana. Alina Stahl, uh, the West Virginia transfer for the Terps, scores a team-leading fifth uh, goal of the game with under five minutes to play. It's Maryland's first Big Ten win since the conference opener. And tied the Terps' first win over Indiana in women's soccer since 1994. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. And and of course they're in a one nothing win. And I I'm a an anti nil guy, um, but in a because I'm not British. So in in a one nothing win goal with Madeline Smith, our goalie had her third clean sheet of the season and. Three of her six saves. Indiana came out really on the front foot, and although there were nothing spectacular about the save, she did have three saves in the first ten minutes. And um, then Maryland scooted down the road, uh, or up the road, I guess, depending on which way you turn your map, to West Lafayette and played Purdue. And it was a veritable goal-scoring explosion for the Terps. Yeah, they had three uh, goals, a three-one win, and. Uh... Meg Ryan Nimzer, Todd, uh, going out on a high note this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and in a couple of ways, Nason, uh, because uh, first of all, we had a freshman who scored the Maryland's first two goals. I think it was the first time Maryland had back-to-back conference road wins in the since we joined the Big Ten. And uh, the three three and seven conference record, that's their most conference wins since finishing five and five with a tie in 2019. And on that same day, she got a commit from a 2024 four star, which is uh, her uh, local girl, uh, her first uh, 2024 commit, uh, four star commit in that class. And she's got three four stars coming in, verbally committed to uh, come in next year. So Meg's hit the the recruiting trail really hard. And so it was a really good, uh, good weekend for women's soccer. Yeah, so Todd, you mentioned the conference record, overall record for the Terps on the year. Uh, they finish it up 4-8-5, 3-7 and, uh, and seven in the conference, as Todd mentioned. Uh, quite a bit of roster turnover coming for the Terps on the pitch. Seven seniors and another seven grad students. Um, they are, they're done with their time in College Park, but a lot of new faces, and as Todd just mentioned, Terps hot on the recruiting trail. Um when you look at this year overall for the women's soccer team, what, what sticks out to you? Well, I think what sticks out to me, Mason, is that if you throw out the two games, one against Michigan State, which uh, a team that turned out to be a lot better than everyone thought they would be at the beginning of the season, in fact, won the conference and took the number one seed going into the Big Ten tournament. Only the top eight teams make that. Maryland did not make that. Uh, but that was a 4 nothing loss, and then they had that inexplicable game at Ohio State where everything just seemed to collapse and lost 7 to nothing. But they were competitive in every game. And with a team where Megan Ryan Nemser brought in like something on the order of 19 new players, just to get a team to gel under those circumstances was pretty amazing. And it does give you the fact that they were, were competitive, and that they did end the season on this kind of a note, and she looks to be bringing in some high-level players for next season. Those are the things that stand out to me. I think uh, we made a great hire. I would agree with that, and from the second uh, that they hired her and she did that opening press conference to now, I've been nothing but impressed uh, with the job that they've been able to do with the women's soccer program, and they'll look to continue to build 
uh, going into next season as they did miss the Big Ten tournament despite uh, winning both games this week. On the men's side, uh, it was a rough week, Todd. A loss to High Point comes in, but the Terps bounced back Friday night with a one, I'll go ahead, one nothing win over Michigan State. <laughs> Thank you, Mason. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, that's a big win for Maryland because now they are in total control of their own destiny to, uh, with respect to winning a Big Ten championship. They'll play Indiana Sunday, the 30th, and if they win – That'll secure the title for them. It's simple. It's it's that simple. If they can win at Indiana, that's not the only way they can get a title or a piece of a title. But if you win, it's game over for everybody else. The Terps will be the Big Ten champs. And that would be key if if they don't win. Uh, a couple scenarios that put the Terps the least a share. Right. Um, a, a tie if they tie or even lose at Indiana. But Ohio State win versus Michigan and Michigan State, I think that that's the only combination that would prevent Maryland from at least a share of the title. So it's just, it's one of those complicated, messy three three points for a game win. That's not just simple. What's your one loss record in conference? Um, so as this goes out. Um, Michigan State plays at Ohio State, and if Michigan State wins that game or ties that game, then that alone will should secure should secure Maryland no worse than a tie. As I kind of tried to work out that arithmetic. Yeah, and there certainly is a lot of math, as Todd mentioned. This is one of those complicated races at the end of the season. I uh, would think that Maryland would have an easy week this week. The Terps host Delaware Tuesday night and uh, then Indiana on Sunday. Well, the Delaware game should be easy, but nothing has been easy for for Sasho and the boys uh, this year so far. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I happened to bump into Sasho on Saturday in, uh, at the, in the president's suite at the football game, and he seemed really optimistic. He said he felt like things were really coming together. Of course, he was coming off a game where, where they literally held Michigan to zero shots, not just no shots on goal, no shots, period. If you can do that, you'll win a lot of games. I can tell you that. Uh, so Delaware should be a pretty easy game. And then the Terps will fly out to Indiana and hopefully be able to duplicate what the women did on, on the Yeagley field. I think it's called out there. Yeah, Todd, that's funny. That's funny that you um, ran into Sasha. I did coming out of uh, Tyser tower, heading down to the field uh, on Saturday oh, and, he was with his group of, uh, I guess, soccer supporters heading up to the president's suite where you ran into him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, on to the volleyball court where, Todd, we thought we were going the right direction, but, well, steps backwards were taken uh, by the Terps on the court this week. Yeah, I, it was really disappointing. I know when we when we sat down last week and, and set talked about volleyball. They were coming off the big upset of then number nine, Purdue. Uh, they had had three ones in a row, all in straight sets. And although the sets were competitive against Penn State, uh, it was a great crowd. It was pretty raucous in, in the pavilion. There were over 2,000 people there, which pretty close to fill the place. Uh, they, they just kind of fell back into some of those early season habits. They didn't pass well. They didn't receive serve very well. And they just didn't make the big plays at, the, at critical times in sets that were all 25, 21, 22, 23, in that range. And when you're that close, you, it, it comes down to who makes the big plays in that race to 25, that last five points. It is, and it was – you know, like you said, it was competitive. I saw a lot of the highlights on Twitter, but Terps just did not score those big points against the Nittany Lions. And, well, things continue to go the wrong way. Saturday night, post-football game, I guess Northwestern got us in one sport uh, on Saturday, Todd, and that was in volleyball. Yeah, that that one, again, I they I don't know if the Penn State loss took some, some wind out of their sails and some confidence out of them you know, or whether they went in a little overconfident. They had beaten Northwestern just a little over a week before, 3 nothing in Evanston. And they started the, the 
match very well, jumped out to a 6-1 lead, and then it was kind of all downhill from there. Uh, their, their back row defense wasn't great. Their, again, their serve-receive wasn't great. Their serving was okay. Uh, the big difference between these two matches is a player for Northwestern named Temi Thomas-Alara, who I see, she feels like she's been at Northwestern for six years, but yeah, they list her as a senior. I don't know where she really is. And she hit 368 against Maryland, and very few teams are going to beat Northwestern if that player hits at that level because she's just a devastating player. Yeah, so the Terps dropped both games uh, this week, and Todd, that kind of all but does it for their uh, tournament hopes, doesn't it? Most most likely, Mason. I mean, they'll come up this week um, with, with, again, two games. They're at Iowa. Uh, to which is a game certainly they could win, but it doesn't really do anything in terms of strength of schedule. And and uh, then they move to Nebraska, uh, which who's number three in the country, and you know that'll probably be a fairly quick match. I don't think maybe Nebraska took Maryland a little lightly when they came into College Park, and Maryland was able to steal a set from them. I don't think they'll do that. They'll take Maryland lightly again. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really hard road. I mean, if you look at the rest of the schedule for Maryland, uh, after the Nebraska game, they travel to Penn State, then they host Iowa, then they have at nine Minnesota and at number five Wisconsin against number six Ohio State. So they're going to have to really raise their level of play. Yeah, and we hope they can, but it seems like another year where they're just on that edge and they just haven't quite pushed over. Uh, that mark to really have a season rolling uh, now over to field hockey and Todd things just uh, they haven't been getting much better as we've been going down the list of teams here on the non-rev report uh, the Terps get beat by Penn State uh, on Friday five to one and uh, it was not pretty it was not pretty um, fortunately Mason for me I didn't see that I was there was an exhibition softball game at uh, at over on, at College Park on campus. The team was playing Virginia. Then I stood and I watched that game before sliding in to watch the Penn State volleyball match. But I was following the score. The Terps jumped out, scored the first goal, and then Penn State just rolled Maryland. You know, and once you get a two or three goal lead in field hockey, generally a team's not coming back. Um, you know, the Terps. I don't know whether there was a little bit of, again, a hangover from uh, winning, securing the title against Rutgers or a share of the title. There was also another construction incident that prevented them from practicing on the field Thursday before they went up, and maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Um, Penn State will play at Rutgers Friday, and if they win, they'll share the title with Maryland and take the top seed going into the tournament. But when you have the, the seeding in the tournament is not that critical when you've got, you know, five teams in the top seven or whatever it is the Big Ten has. So, you know, I, you'd like to have it. You'd like to have the outright title. Maryland will, of course, uh, Missy Mahard playing the type of schedule that develops championship teams has a pair of non-conference games coming up this week. They play uh, Virginia at home Tuesday at five, and then they'll travel and play a game at UConn Sunday. UConn is number 12, Virginia's number seven. And, you know, UConn, it's great. This is how you get top teams. North Carolina's played on their field because they're hosting the final four this uh, this year. So you, you want to get top teams to come into your house. You know, that's a great way to do it. Yes, it is. And uh, Todd, the game on Tuesday can be seen on, of course, BTN Plus. BTN Plus. <laughs> I was thinking, Mason, this is the first time we've gotten through almost the entire report and not mentioned BTN Plus. Uh, Maryland's uh, volleyball game will also be on uh, the uh, BTN plus uh, against Iowa, as will the game at Nebraska. The the uh, I think both soccer games as well will be on BTN plus unless they move Sunday's game at Indiana to uh, the big network. I don't think they did. But, Todd, you found a way you found a way to get all of our BTN plus call outs in in like 10 seconds there. Yeah, I, Mason, maybe we should get them to sponsor the podcast. Maybe we should. I, I don't know. I, I think they should at this point. We mentioned their name enough. Like I said last week, they should sponsor us. 
Uh, Todd, <laughs> that wraps up the non-rev report. Uh, some thoughts on the Terps win in football with the now 6-2 and two Maryland football team. And uh, let me check the date, but I think it's only like the beginning of the third week of October. Hey, you know, the, I mean, just astonishing, Mason. You know, people people are, uh, you know, they, they, they find things to nitpick, but Maryland 6-2, and two, they're, they're 13 and eight over the last 21 games. They got the meat of the schedule coming up. If they can steal a win either at uh, North, at Wisconsin or at Penn State and then beat Rutgers as you would think they should, you know, it's a, it's a really, really good year for Maryland. As for the game itself, you know, you and I were talking a little bit, and I thought that the, this game turned on Dante Trader's interception to start the third quarter. Uh, on Northwestern's first drive, because I think that game plays out entirely differently. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about Roman Hemby and how he he just looks more and more like the kind of a guy who wears defenses down as he gets more and more carries. Yes, he does. And I got to check myself. It's the fourth week of October today. Sorry, running into those end of the day Monday problems. And, and Todd, interesting uh, tidbit from you from the postgame interviews. Uh, Wayne asked Dante Trader, what has more communication, football or lacrosse? And you know what? He actually said football. Really? Interesting. That is interesting. Of course, of course Dante hasn't played lacrosse at this level yet. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. I just thought that you would uh, you would uh, have something to say about that comment because it's, it's yeah, you I, haven't heard many well, people say that. Yeah, I, I well, I do because, you know, I mean, I feel like football needs a lot of priests pre-play, uh, pre-snap kind of communication, whereas I talk about volleyball, which I think is a weakness of Maryland. We talked about that some last week. Volleyball, you need to be constantly communicating within the play. Um, and, and maybe football, it's, it's a little different. Lacrosse, I hadn't really thought about. I, you know, I think on defense, you, you do need a lot of communication, it seems to me, on, on lacrosse in terms of when to slide, when not to slide, who's got whom. You know, so that's an interesting comment. But as I say, you know, let's, let's take it with a grain of salt because he hasn't – I don't even think he's practiced with the team yet. No, I don't think so either. But, hey, a win's a win, and Dante is uh, definitely – doing great things for the Terps on the football field. And, Todd, uh, thanks for joining as always. Thanks again, Mason. Always fun. Now let's get on to football. And, as always, Wayne Viner joins me to discuss uh, what was a homecoming win for the Terps. Maryland 31, Northwestern 24. I thought it was going to be a blowout, but, uh, of course, Maryland had to make it interesting. You make it interesting after you get down 17-7. to You get the ball. There's 88 yards to go. You use up the entire clock. You go 88 yards and kick a field goal and change the momentum of the game. And from that point forward, Maryland just road grades Northwestern. It just took a while to get going. And you can blame it on a couple things. One is you have a new quarterback and what I thought was some poor play calling, not really using Billy Edwards to his strength. The other part was a lot of defensive starters were out, and it took Maryland a little bit of time to figure out who was doing what on defense. And then Gote got hurt, and they even were more limited at linebacker. We can go over those particulars. When they needed to do it, much like at Indiana, much like against SMU, when you needed to play at that level, Maryland absolutely shows up. And one of the keys to maturity is can you bring that with you or do you need the adversity to make you play like that? Well, right now they're a team that needs the adversity to play like that. And just a bad, bad set of play calling that didn't benefit Billy Edwards. It didn't benefit the team uh, that, that just looked uncertain. They did not look like they knew what they were doing right there at the beginning of the game. Uh, the game by the numbers for the Terps. Uh they end up edging Northwestern first downs, 25-24. to 24. Northwestern goes 9 for 14 on third down. The Terps an even 50%, 8 for 16. Uh, Maryland stops Northwestern's only try on fourth down. The Terps themselves are 1 for 2. Uh, both teams over 200 rushing yards. Northwestern with 215. Terps with 257. Maryland only 166 passing yards. Northwestern 143. Maryland wins the total yard battle 423 to 358. 
Northwestern sacks the Terps four times for a total loss of 27 yards. Maryland only one sack in the game. Uh, it loses the Wildcats seven yards. Northwestern throws two picks. Uh, both teams struggled a little bit in the punting game, but Northwestern three punts, 31.7 yards average. Uh, the Terps four with a 44.5-yard average. Both teams rack up eight penalties. Maryland's eight for 80 yards. Northwestern eight for 67. Terps fumble the ball twice but don't lose it. Maryland holds the ball for 43 minutes and five seconds. Northwestern, 25 minutes and 17 seconds uh, in front of an underwhelming homecoming crowd, but a crowd that was in the game of 31,418. No not, people, but a big party in the parking lot. It was not, fun. Not a good year for the Terps in the attendance. Um, last year, story on that, I had an article ready to go for Terp Talk that said this will be the first year since when that Maryland's averaged over 40,000 fans a game. Now, they ended up falling short of that because they only got like 33,000 when they played Michigan last year. But this year, that number is close to 30. I mean, we're looking at like a, about a 9,500 fan loss year over year here with the uh, locks. But no West Virginia on the schedule this year. Uh, no Penn State on the schedule. No, no Virginia. Big... No Virginia Tech. Yeah, there's just not, not many big draws this year for Maryland at home. Uh, back to the game. But before you move off of that, I think there's a lot more people paying attention to Maryland football this year. They just didn't go to the game. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And the thing that I think changes the game this year is the hype's just – it's just not really there. Like, they haven't had that big Friday night game, which they've had, which really helped them out 2019 attendance-wise, 2021. Well, let's say you got the Penn State game that was one of those. You had yeah. the Iowa game. Yeah, and West Virginia. Had, I mean, West, they have a shot for it. They have a shot for that number skew game when they play Ohio State. Oh, it's, it should be absolutely packed with drunk people from Ohio. or well, Drunk people from here that went to school in Ohio is the actual answer. Or just are Ohio State fans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there will be a fair number of Maryland fans there. If you have tickets to the game, you might as well go. I mean, something that I saw on the fan thing, interestingly enough, is – a lot of people looking for tickets to go up to Penn State. So I was just looking for um, just looking at Penn State tickets the way they do, like the upper deck that has the real seats, you know, on one side and then the road side on the other side. And I was on one of the sites I look at for a lot for tickets, which has every game in the ticket price of it. And the amount of people that are selling their tickets this week at Penn State, trying to get like $400 a ticket for a noon game, Penn State, Ohio State this weekend – was ridiculous. You know, for one of those fan bases that's like one of the fan bases in college football, like them or not, they get a lot of people out there. But the big noon kickoff is killing college football. That is not a time slot for the biggest game. Ohio State-Michigan, game that's always been played at that time, fine. The uh, Red River shootout, or showdown, depending on what year it is, fine. Put it at noon. That's where that game belongs. But these big games that they just decide to stick at noon. I hate it. I hate it as a fan. I think that's a night as night game written all over it. It the does. Penn State, I mean, that's a night game. It's a whiteout. It's a night game. Whether you like them or not, they throw a good football party. Uh, they they really State. do. So back to the game that was against Northwestern. Uh, both teams start a quarterback that's never started a game before, and – from the way that game was called initially, uh, Northwestern had a better rhythm. Billy, that's Billy Edwards Jr., is the right fit for what Maryland did for two quarters plus one drive. But when they came out and decided, and, and you've said this before, I don't know if you said it on the air, but the next man up that were just going to run the same playbook didn't exactly work out for Billy in the beginning of the it game. It doesn't work out for quarterbacking. I mean, the Commanders tried it this week when they went from Wentz to Heineke. The um, the best play I saw from a quarterback this week was Lamar Jackson as a tailback. I thought that was an that was great. That was some old school Ravens football. But teams just they try this stuff all the time, and you know I was talking to Todd about this before we started. Loxley's always kind of had that mentality: the next guy can do the same thing, and we're just going to run the same stuff. Well. The best coaches in all sports know we have concepts and then we have the actual plays. They talk about Travis Kelsey like this. 
he don't really run the route that's on paper. But the next three guys, they need to run the route that's on paper because Kelsey's that good. Well, Maryland has a guy in this system that they run that can kind of do what's on paper, run what he wants to do. They can call every play in the book, and whether he actually executes them or well or not, he knows exactly what's supposed to happen We're on that about, play. Talk about Leah. Yeah, and you put in a guy that's not started a game that clearly doesn't have the same arm of what Leah used to have. It really doesn't. I mean, the ball is not not as accurate, but he can throw the ball. He can throw the ball a long way, but what has that ever gotten you? Well, it doesn't win a lot of games, but the guy can throw the ball. Sooner or later, he'll hit what he's aiming at. It's it's probably not going to be this year. And it just didn't work. And everybody's got to be thinking – they ran the offense when they really needed it, and they didn't throw the ball. In Indiana. Maryland yeah. gets the ball with about six and a half minutes left and just runs the ball. And since you and I go to the games together, whether we're on the field taking pictures or, or at the club level, man, I was I was losing my stuff, man, that they didn't pick up where they left off. And for if you ever were going to pick up where you left off, you had great momentum. You could tell the guys, we are going to pile drive these guys go out there and hit them and once northwest does it overcommit to the run then we can throw the ball and it took and i don't know if loxley was telling the whole story if it was just telling a story after the game where he said the offensive line guys came to him and said coach let's go run the ball because we can run the ball against these guys now the coach should have known that that, that that's to me a silly thing to say because it is. If you watch the game against Indiana, if you watch the way Maryland closed out, even SMU and Michigan State, Maryland can run the ball, but you got to commit to that run. You know, and I see it as when your players have to come and tell you stuff like that. One, it happens, right? You're coaching the game, you have a different perspective on it. The second thing that I think of when I hear that, kind of the more knock on Loxley's side is. That shows me that they didn't believe that our guys were tougher than the guys that they were lining up against. So we could punch them in the mouth 50 times in the game. Well, that's one of your go-to things is, is this team tough enough when you bring all the Midwestern guys in the Midwestern line, can our guys hit back? I mean, 11 on 11, who were the best guys on the field? Best guys on the field were Maryland Terrapins. Whether they played the best brand of football, well, that, that was up in the I don't air. know. Credit to Northwestern for a 1-6 team. They played a lot of close games. They've managed to lose all of them. And hey, they're still undefeated in Ireland, so they got that. No, they'll have that probably for a while. And I think the guy Hull that plays for Northwestern can really play. Other than that, there's just there's not much there on the offense. But they made it look good. Maryland's defensive scheme often in the first half of many games leaves the flats open. It happened again. I think, I think Maryland's defensive scheme actually plays better against teams that quarterback doesn't really have much to plays like the west coast offense would kill maryland's defense the way they line up yes and it did in the first half a lot of it was short in the flat and then they and they just matriculate their way down the field you also brought up the imbalance in the clock time maryland had the ball a lot i'm gonna tell you this is old school old guy football but when you run the ball like maryland can run it and you're using billy edwards as a running back and the clock just doesn't stop, and you get first downs, and all you need is three and a half yards of carry, three of those will get you first down, your defense only has to be out there, and I believe they really only had four drives they had to defend. They get two turnovers, game's over. Yeah. And so that style of play, when you have a leaky defense, if you're efficient on offense, and you can say, well, they run the ball, you know, this is a high-scoring Maryland offense. Doing what they did, they scored 31 and they left points on the field. The Ryland missed kick was a series of miscues that led to a missed field goal. They should have had a touchdown. Should have, could have, would have had a touchdown at the end of the first half. You add those to it, and you're back in the 40s. And it's by running the ball. Man, if you can dominate the clock and still get 40 points, you actually can win some games. You don't have to be that great. Yeah, but they're playing Northwestern, and here's the thing. But they, they, they uh, No, no, because you know they're going to get beat up front when they play a team that's really got some sack to them. I don't know. They're getting beat up front by Purdue. They're going to get beat up front by Michigan. They're going to get beat up front by Purdue. They're going to be beat up front by, uh, you know, Penn State's kind of the game where you highlight, can we run the ball that many times? Because Penn State's got, like, nothing on the defensive line. Well, right they're now. small. They're small. They're exactly. Small. They get moved. They got a defensive end playing defensive okay. tackle. But ba- back to some of these games, 
if you come out and you're committed to running the ball like they are and and you get out of those runs in the RPO and throw it when they load the box, when you're actually committed to that, it changes the way you look at a game when you're an offensive lineman. If you go out and get to hit the guy in front of you and you are delivering the blow as opposed to backing up and waiting for these guys to run you over, it changes your mentality. When you feed, that's why you want to feed an offensive line when you got big guys like that is to get them out and get them hitting and do it early. What I like about it and what I've always liked about it is when these guys believe in the scheme that they're running enough, I, I don't understand why at some point you just don't run the ball every time you have the ball and run the play clock all the way down every single time. The game's just not going to take that long. We're going to just shorten the game. And it puts you in a bad spot if you give up points. But honestly, against a team like Northwestern, why that's not the strategy, I don't really get. Commit to the run and run the play clock down every single time. Well, we're going to get to see this at Wisconsin and see who comes out. Which can you bring this with you? I have not been to a game at Camp Randall. I'm looking forward to it. That's coming up. Two yeah, we'll be lucky Saturday. if that game, if Billy is playing, if the game takes two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the defensive side, I found out from Dante Trader that they call their, themselves the Reapers. And what I noticed after I talked to Dante post game is that those guys, which is Trader, Bo Braid, Glendon Miller. Between the three of those, two of those guys are on the field for every play. They rotate the defensive line out. Maryland rotates the linebackers. They rotate the cornerbacks. But those safeties stay on the field, and it's one of the few systems that I'm aware of right now where the safeties call the whole defense because they're out there. They do, and Maryland doesn't really have that true inside linebacker. That's the other factor of it. They really just don't have that guy. Usually the inside linebacker is the guy that stays on the field for you, your number one inside linebacker. This defense, these combinations are starting just to get me. There is no way you can convince me at this point that Corey Coley should be on the football field at this point. That's a shame because he came in as as a one of your Jacksonville guys. He still is a Jacksonville guy. Yeah, he still is. I'm not. And, uh probably why because the football players we get from there they don't they don't really do too well around here um i just so i don't those, like it we got P- like three guys that can play and those guys need to play the three guys that can play are tarheeb still jacorian bennett and deontay banks and and you're gonna need one rotational piece it was gavin gibson he got hurt yeah i mean right now it's just lacking it really is the depth there is just not there and luckily enough, we haven't played many teams that really can take advantage of that. But it seems like every time anybody throws the ball down the field, it's like 50-50. The guy's either going to catch it or Maryland's getting past interference. Well, that's 100%. If those two 50s add up and that's what happened. So you talk about 80 yards of penalties and you say, well, let's let's go back through this. Uh, the PIs, all three of them were 15. So that's 45. Branch does a cartwheel on that touchdown. That's another 15. So 60 of the 80-something are four plays that you could make the case that didn't really need to happen. Now, there was no offensive holding. There was limited. I don't think there was any defensive holding. There was a few false starts. Uh, that's pretty much your whole penalty whoa, 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 whoa. thing. And there were no late hits. Let, let's um, let's go over this, though. The two pass interferences were on Back-to-back plays on the same drive, weren't they? Yes, they were. So that cost him seven. It did. It ended up being a screen pass to 26. He rolls into the, the end zone. The false start on the two-yard line cost probably cost him seven. seven. And they got lucky that 15-yard – I can't believe that's a penalty. The cartwheel was just like – that's got to be one of the best moments of the season. That's going to be one of the best moments in that stadium in years. That you're so happy that you won that you have a 350-pound guy cartwheeling down the field – God, that's great. That That's college football. I love that part. It was stupid to throw a penalty on that. But I don't know why. Why is that unsportsmanlike conduct? Why is doing a cartwheel unsportsmanlike conduct? I, I don't know. And it happened right in front of me, and I didn't see it because it was – Roman Hemby was right in front of me too. I was yeah. taking pictures of Roman Hemby, and I missed. But, man, smoke went crazy. What's his name? Yeah, Smoke Dixon was yelling at him to get off the field after the guy threw the flag, though. Yeah. Just get, just get off the field. Smoke Dixon is the... Like general manager of the whole operation. Really recruiting-based, but... Yeah, so he hangs out in the Gossett end zone. So that's where we're taking pictures as Maryland scored down there. Yeah, and so they get really lucky with the penalties. They didn't really cost them. 
And I just don't know what it is. Loxley's teams just commit penalties. And like I said last week and the week before, and I'll continue to say, I feel like until until Maryland really cleans it up, but I don't think I'm not even sure if that's possible given my theory, which is that the referees, once they see that a team is likely to commit penalties, like late hits, unsportsmanlike conduct, pass interference, anything that we can come with in the book, cartwheels, yeah, that they're looking for those things. How you change that narrative, I don't really think, I'm not even sure if it's possible. Okay, so Maryland wins the game. They get their nail down, set. We're in the end zone. I'm in the end zone, waiting for the team to run that way to take the Sing the Victory song video. Billy Edwards does whatever he does, throws the ball from 301 to 202, where the ball lands somewhere near D.C., and the whole team runs at us, and Dante Dimas and uh, Rock Jarrett actually get to us, and they are ecstatic. And then you turn around and you realize that the game isn't over. And I don't know if they to, got all the way there. And they had to go back and set this up. And in those moments, I was like, okay. I, I'm unfortunate. I feel like I've seen this movie before. It's like uh, when when uh, Maryland lost to Virginia in the last game of like 1998 or 99. Virginia scores with almost no time left. And Maryland had the game won, but they couldn't close it out. Lamont Jordan had the 306 yards rushing, and Emmanuel lose the game anyhow. And somehow, Northwestern's going to get the ball. They're going to call grounding off of the video because he didn't get out of the pocket. And there'll be one second left, the ball be at midfield, and they're going to get a P.I. again, and then they'll throw the ball in the end zone and win the game. So, once again, uh, a lot of hope, but not a lot of faith. And at that point, the phone starts ringing. People are actually calling me going, oh, my God, th- they're going to find a way to lose this game. And it didn't happen for once. They didn't call it. For one time, they didn't call it. So Yeah, that, that's just stupid. The end of the play was the end of the game was just stupid. He could have run backwards and out, out of the of end bounds. zone. He out of bounds. You could have given him a safety. No, don't give him a safety. If you, but I'm saying he could have turned around and ran fifty yards backwards. The game's over, you flip the ball to the ref, take a knee, and you're done. You didn't need to run that play. Yeah, that was just not smart football. But it worked out this time. It did. But I feel like we see the recurring themes with Maryland are they've skated away this year, and they don't really play the smartest brand of football, but, hey, they're 6-2, and two, so can I really complain? No, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. Of course, we're here in the Viner Fourgate studio brought to you by Viner Fourgates. If you need help with your business, Cybersecurity, Viner Fourgates is your Terrapin choice. Give us a call at 877-797-8776. So can somebody complain that you're 6-2 and two as the guy behind us was screaming fire Loxley through half of the game? Um, I don't really think you can. I don't care who you play. It's what I said on the postgame show. You won the games. And one of the things that, that sort of saps the energy out of this is there are no... 51, and lately, 51 to 20 games where you actually dominate somebody. Every one of these games is coming down to the end. On the Facebook side or the Terrapin Time side of things where people go, this team could be 7-1 and one or, or could be undefeated. My take is almost the other way. My goodness, they almost lost SMU, took a miraculous comeback. And you said before, you probably in, in, other, in an alternate universe, you'll lose to SMU and you beat Purdue. But you got to look at the Indiana game, my goodness, that game when Leah got hurt looked lost. Northwestern, once again, for, for moments there, like, is this thing ever going to start? So, yeah, they're 6-2, and two, but they have no dominant wins over anything that's close to a real team yet. Yeah, and then there are the people out there that say they haven't played anybody, they haven't beaten anybody that's 500, and for those people, you're wrong. Buffalo's 5-3. and three. Really? Well, they were like 0-3. They've won every game in the MAC or something stupid like that. All right. um, you can't be mad. How can you be mad right now? Because, look, and I've said this almost trying to convince myself to not be mad because I, like the general Maryland fan, feel like they probably should be a little bit better than they are now. There's three things I'm going to say. The first one is I hate the people that say they should be 8-0. and 
because they shouldn't. Because bad things happen when you're a team that commits penalties. You set yourself up for failure. Yes, that interception should have been taken down. But there is no way that you can say they would have won that Michigan game if they, those interceptions didn't happen. There's just not. They lost the game. No, you, you lost on. the game. Uh, you have to catch the kickoff. And you got to be able to tackle the guy on third and one. A fourth and one. Uh, whatever. And so th- throw that one out. The seven and one people, it didn't happen. Well, that's me. I it just, fall it just into that didn't bucket. happen. We've come a long way from where we were. Because we getting... were in, we were deep in a hole at one point. We were three and nine when this thing started, well, and it wasn't pretty. You you can start with they should cancel football at Maryland when this thing started. Exactly. So we're from could you, you should cancel football at this university to being six and two and being angry in the span of I guess what feels like it's been twenty years, but it's been four, four years. Um, all points well taken. I, I was just – I look at the roster. Well, hold on. I'm not done. Last one. All the goals of this team and this program are still in front of them this season. The goal was never that they're going to make the playoff this season or have a game like that could say that if they win, they have a feasible chance at winning the Big Ten East and having a shot at the college football playoff. Well, that was a – second there where they could have had that game where everybody was hoping for it. I'm not saying you were wrong to hope for it. But look, we're 6-2. and two. We have an opportunity to go on the road and beat a team in, the, in this conference that we haven't beaten yet. That we've played some tough games against. We have another one to go and beat a team that we battle in every single meaningful recruiting battle. And then, and then we can be, what, 8-2 and two with a home game against the, what could be at that point the number one team in the country because you know Tennessee's going to find a way to mess this up. So if you're 8-2, and two, you're ranked, you're playing at home, even if you're 7-3 and three and you're ranked and you're playing at home against a top-five team, that's why you join this conference. The stadium will be full. There will be a lot of their fans there, but I'm sure there will be a lot of our fans there too. They'll all wear red, Mason. And we'll have an opportunity to do something great this year. You win that game, it's a great season. If you win that game, it's a it's an all-time great season. If you could beat the number one team in the country. Or the number three team, it doesn't matter. If They're you could beat Ohio State. Exactly. I, I'm not sure if, if, if. All right, all, all good points that I was more into the, the miracle season thing. I look at the roster and I see professional football players. They still other than a few of those moments that we talked about when they actually bring it, don't play like professional football players on the rise. Well, that's my problem. Right? Those were all the good things uh, I see all the time that people are salty about. The thing that I'm mad about is that how have we not gotten guys that are, whatever they talk about, committed something respected? Terps? Basically, the, no, they have another one other than the Terps. And with a video that they did not play when it looked like they were going to lose, by the way. Um, is how can we not get guys to focus on what is today, right? Every coach that you talk to that really brings it, has that mindset about them, could be a motivational speaker if they weren't a coach, talks about being engaged today. What can I do today that's going to make me better off tomorrow? I feel like our guys, they might bring that, like you said earlier this year, 99% of the time, but it's not happening on Saturday. Saturday is that day where they have got to do something to get these guys to lock in. This is the moment. This is why you're there all the time. This is why you're in that facility all the time. To build yourself up for Saturday and for the future. But the future starts on Saturday because we all know that we have important things that are going to happen in life where there are days where you have to bring it. Our guys right now, there's a handful of them that bring it. You're Dante Trader, Bo Braves. But it feels like when you're watching the game, they just aren't all there. Until something, until somebody punches them in the face, they can't find a way to bring it themselves, well, which is better than where we were in the past. Oh, yeah. Before, you got to punch the face and you turned around and left. And we were worried that the team quit during the game. That, that fear at the moment, gone. As an older guy, I, I think you're talking about the difference in some ways between being a youthful person and being an adult. And they're on the edge of that. And the adult person's supposed to be able to bring themselves ready to go when that bell rings. When you when the you open for business and you're ready to play football, you gotta be there. And we're still dealing with people trying to mature to that point where they can bring that, and it doesn't have to be pushed onto them by by adversity. 
and maybe they get there this year. And we'll see when we get to Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, the game is uh, flex time. It is flex. So they're down to the six-day window, which means next or this coming Sunday they'll have a game time and a TV slot. The uh, nighttime BTN slot's taken. Michigan's at Rutgers. The noon ABC time slot's taken. Ohio State's at Northwestern. There's a handful of games in there. I think there's like an Illinois-Michigan State game. Uh, n not the best slate of football games. So more than likely 3.30 FS1. That's what I'm thinking. Neither team plays this week. One of the rare times where I've seen the flex game where both of the teams are on bye week coming into the game. No Wisconsin game this week, no Maryland game this week, and they haven't been able to decide a game time. That probably means you're like ESPN 2, 3.30 or 12 yep. time slots looking at it. There's, It's one of those toss-up games. But. Weather dependent, man, I'd like a 6.30 at Camp Randall. That'd be a heck of a party town and uh, party right up to the game. Uh, so you're going to get a little bit of Florida, Georgia this weekend. Yeah, I'm heading down back to um, Jacksonville, which I said I'm not from anymore, but I have never really was from there. I've always been from here. Uh, yeah, Florida, Georgia this weekend. Um, probably the, the lamest Florida, Georgia since I was down there for college. Um, Florida's just not very good this year. And Georgia is, and it should be a blowout. Tickets for that game actually below $100 as of today. I've huh. never seen that. Huh. Well, I think you're going to have a great time as usual down there. Uh, I went to Hoops Media Day, Basketball Media Day, talked to Kevin Willard for a bit. Starting to get the feeling, although it's of course it's early, that this guy is as close to Gary Williams as we're going to get. And I talked to Chris Knock. If you haven't seen that interview, look at TripTalk.com. I think that there's going to be more speed out there. I think there's going to be pressure. I think they're going to try and turn it into a game that, that you're going to run up and down that court and maybe can outscore the other team. They do realize if they sit back with the sort of size disadvantage that Maryland basketball has that they're probably going to get beaten to a pulp in the Big Ten. And it's going to take some time. That's the other part. I don't think that you bring, as you said, what, you bring 13 guys together never played Committed and connected. That's what he says. All right. That they're committed. It's a more of a football term. But, yeah, that you can get 13 guys to play as a team when even the returning guys, it's an entirely new system. And Kevin knows that. Kevin Willard knows that. Says when they pick up the speed, every once in a while the guys go in the wrong direction because they're used to the way they used to play. And I think yep. Kevin wants to attack. I, I think that that's a good way to look at it. There's a chance that this team quits because of, the way that Willard, you know, runs things differently. I think keeping the strength and conditioning guy, Kyle Tarp, as a holdover, kind of holds you. It holds a lot of guys over because a lot of guys are actually more committed to that guy than the actual coach of the team. Well, you said that about the football guys, that the strength and conditioning coach is the actual guy that sees them every day. And sets the tone. That's the, one of the most important guys, if not the most important guy. It's your head coach, your strength and conditioning guy, and, like, whoever that first holdover coaches that that's there and sets those guys that set the tone day in day out for Maryland Tarp's yeah. a guy that he brings it I mean he's always had the energy he's been there for a long time he knows what Maryland's about now it's will they get the buy-in to run the system and to trust the system when things aren't going well because they certainly have the games that are gonna probably punch him in the face early on your UCLA Tennessee teams that are deep into that program development that are just in a different spot. They could also pull something off that could, could kick them forward. We will have to see. It's going to be interesting. I do have faith. It's not this year. I got faith in the next year and the next year. I, I think this was absolutely the right move, almost to the point that I can't believe that Kevin Willard didn't go to Maryland. Now here's something. Maryland actually has the opportunity at the same time to win meaningful games early in the season. Meaningful or not. They, the games are actually on the schedule, and they came out today, actually, with, like, the color-out thing and all that. They got a whiteout game against UCLA, the other three are conference games. But the fact that Maryland's playing UCLA at College Park at 9 o'clock on a weeknight it's is, a big deal. is actually a big deal. Like, that's a game that's going to sell tickets. That's what people expect from Maryland basketball. And hopefully they bring out their, like, 70 eras throw, throwbacks for that game. Yeah, I love those. That, that would be... Did you did you watch the press conference? I know you couldn't go. Uh, yes, I did watch it. Not all. Did you catch the part where he was talking that he wants, no matter what Damon says, he wants the turtle back? 
Yes, I did. And he see wants that. those uniforms back. That's well, that, a guy. It, the I have faith that that's a guy that gets it. That's my. That's Maryland. I mean, Maryland are the Terps. I don't. I. I really don't like the turtle holding the M as the logo. I'm not a fan of that. That was like the 2006 logo, and I'm more like a 2010 Maryland fan. But the M with the flag on top of it, the New Balance logo M, that like, like that's Maryland. This stuff that they have out there. They made it look like a Big Ten school probably on purpose, but it looks like a Big Ten school, and that's not what Maryland is. Maryland's always been on the, use their school term, the forefront of innovation with sports logos. Right. changed them so many times. Yeah. And when, uh, get off of basketball, because that's not, really not basketball time yet. I'll Two give it weeks. Another, then we'll Two talk about Two weeks to the day, actually. I, I have a football team that just became bowl eligible. I'll get to basketball. This is one of the few times, I think, ever in Maryland history that you're going to say, well, we'll, we'll Football team's actually going to go to the what would have been the NCAA tournament kind of thing, where the basketball team, if they go 500, it'll be a good year. Uh, if they go back to the script football helmets, I hope they bring back what you could call the circus clown or the, the, the clown uniform that had the Calvert side, the black and gold, and then had the... Uh, Crossland side, which is the cross, the red and white that they wore against Miami way back when Edsel started. I would like that traditional Maryland pride look to be the alternate uniform. God, no. I don't hate it, but I don't think it happens. I would just like to see Maryland football look like Maryland football. I feel like we talk about this on the show almost every week, but I like the all red because that was actually the uniform pairing that came out with for that jersey. The red on red, the homecoming look with that helmet on it, it's not bad. What's bad is the white jersey and the red pants. That's not a great look. The red jersey and the white pants, not a good look. But even even with the Terp script look, the they white haven't jersey done the white jersey with the red pants and the Terp script helmet is a uniform though. These mashed together Pride 2.0 looks that they got yeah. are are not a good look. They're All just right. not. Um, hopefully against Penn State, we get the Terp script. Maryland Terp script against Penn State, Penn State uniforms. What that, that's a football game. Yeah, that is. That's just a real. It's a real football game. I mean, we're we're gonna go to Wisconsin and then come back home for five days and then turn around and drive to Penn State, and then you got Ohio State. I mean, and and your team's half decent. This is gonna be hopefully this is gonna be great. And that's about all I got for you. It, it has the opportunity to do so. Uh, we got a recruiting special coming up later. This week with Ahmed Gafir, we're going to look into Ahmed's list on Inside the Black and Gold, uh, his list of top Maryland targets for 2024. So looking ahead uh, past the 23 class later on this week, a little bi-week special for all of our listeners. And then uh, we'll have to start to bring in Jack Rothenberg as basketball gets started here two weeks away from turf basketball. But as Wayne just said, opportunities galore in football. Enjoy the bye week, enjoy the week off, and as always, thanks for listening.